A year ago, we had probably unofficially the largest indoor meet in NCAA history. We had over 4,000 athletes. This past fall, we had a limitation of 25, 25, not 2,500, 25 in this building at a time. Actually, I think it helped to be able to be in the single when you're in a small boat and something is going wrong when you know whose fault it is <laughs> and you can't hide. This is the Language of Business, a podcast to inform and inspire entrepreneurs, anyone thinking about a startup or anyone looking for a post-pandemic pivot. I'm executive producer Don Kelly. Our host is Greg Stoller, Harvard MBA and senior lecturer at Boston University Questrom School of Business. In this episode, we look at the reopening of college sports, specifically rowing and track and field. Here's Greg Stoller. Thank you, Don. How do you take an outdoor sport and then force its athletes to be inside when the best they could do is work on conditioning and maybe do some mock competitions? We welcome virtually to the language of business, Malcolm Doldrin, who is the head of lightweight rowing at Boston University. Thanks, Greg. How do you run a sport like crew when, you know, in the best of all possible worlds, you've only got a few months outside on the water anyway, especially the Charles River. How do you even do this during a pandemic? <laughs> I guess the first answer I'd give you is very carefully. <laughs> when everyone was in lockdown, I think it was really difficult for my athletes to be able to see the kind of light at the end of the tunnel. And I'm still trying to encourage them to keep training and to keep building their fitness. Once we've got clearance to go back outside, I think a lot of them started to go on long runs. Those that had access to the ergometer where they were able to hop on the ergs in their homes or luckily for some they were able to have their singles and get out on the water and train that way but when we all got back to Boston it was different from what we've expected and we had to really allow ourselves to be creative with the training we had to follow all of the university protocols distancing masking they were getting tested twice a week and then daily attestations it was very different from what we had expected this year to be, but I think they handled it in really good stride. But how did you yourself stay motivated or your team stay motivated? I imagine the pulling ergs indoors, although it might be good for conditioning, must get real boring real quick. Yeah, you have to kind of create a mental game out of it. And for some of them, every time they take a stroke, they have their meters that'll count on their monitors. And so for them, I kind of tell them to put a little dollar sign next to that number. And every stroke they take, you can watch those dollars pile up. And when we get down to competitive racing, really what it's about is how much can you afford to spend? Using those same dollars on their monitors? Exactly. But it's really when it comes down to it, how much training can you do? between September and end of May. And every meter that you row is a little bit more that you have in a tank than somebody else. You kind of have to make a game out of it and figure out a way to keep yourself motivated because your team depends on you. And these women had big goals. Was there any opportunity to compete at all last year? In March of 2020, when we got shut down, not at all. We were all on our own, all indoors. Everybody was, was either on Zoom or watching Tiger King. <laughs> But once we got back in the fall, again, no racing, but able to train. And then this spring, we put together a few races against Boston College. We were able to actually race at our intercollegiate growing championship at the end of May, where we were able to win the lightweight women's double. Congratulations. Did quite well. Did anybody decide to quit? In the fall, we definitely had women that trying to read the tea leaves and knew how restrictive BU was going to be. From the beginning, we preached safety first, operationality and functionality second, then competition. And for 
some folks, it was going to be more restrictive than they thought they could handle. I couldn't blame them for wanting to take the semester or even the year away. Those women, for the most part, are coming back this fall. And so we're looking forward to getting the team back together again, for sure. Was rowing treated any differently, either at BU or elsewhere across the country, compared with other sports by the NCAA? I don't think so. We were not allowed to do any type of team boats. So when there was time for strict social distancing measures were in place. We were in singles. We had to distance ourselves. If we were on the ergs as a group, no more than 10 people in the room and each erg was spaced about 10 feet apart and masked every time that we trained. I don't believe that we were treated any differently. We were considered to be a moderate risk sport, particularly if we were in a, an eight person shell. There was just a lot of questions about if you're exercising at high intensity, how much droplets of saliva is gonna be transmitted throughout the air. I no one really knew that. Other programs, we were actually really fortunate at BU not to have any positive cases on, at least on a lightweight program. But in a couple of other programs where they had a positive case and say the three seat of the boat, the two seat and the four seat on either side of them never actually tested positive. I think the science was pretty clear. It just took a while for everything to catch up and we were treated just like any other sport safety first. From a conditioning standpoint, if you're in an eight, you obviously have one or, but if you're rowing a single, you obviously have two. Did that affect the athlete's performance or long-term planning? Actually, I think it helped to be able to be in the single when you're in a small boat and something is going wrong, well, you know whose fault it is <laughs> and you can't hide. And so it really takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to dial into your movement and your rowing economy and to really understand how to make improvements. And that time where you can just work on boat feel and you can work on figuring out your strengths and weakness, it really allows you to translate that into the big team boats. Now that everybody has had that time to really feel what it's like to move a shell on their own, they're just so much more dialed into doing it together. I thought it was really helpful. That's great to hear. Putting the pandemic behind us in our wake, so as to speak, what are your plans for September? plan to go full steam ahead. We have not gotten all of the protocols from BU just yet. I'm excited about this team that we're building here. I'm really excited about the ability to actually have the group together and to really have everyone feel the chemistry and the culture that really part and parcel to BU lightweight rowing. We've been around for under 10 years and we've become one of the top lightweight programs in the country. And that's a large part is due to our culture, due to our team leadership and having everyone in the room together. That's what I'm looking forward to the most. Anything keeping you up at night on the other hand about the new season? Not really. I tend to be a pretty optimistic person. I tend to see the glass is half full. The fact is we get to do this sport and we get an opportunity to train with each other and learn from each other. And they're ready for this. One of the points of rowing is you learn how to suffer a little bit. You learn how to struggle a little bit and you learn how to persevere. And so we're really prepared to take on the 2021-22 season as a team. What did you learn last year that you wouldn't have had to learn had we all not gone through the pandemic? Oh, wow. 
Personally, I think that I could handle a lot more than I thought I could. I lost my assistant coach to another job in May of 2020, but did not anticipate the hiring freeze. So from May of 2020 to literally June 1st of 2020. You were in your own single. <laughs> I, I was in my own single, responsible for my 40 athletes. I had fantastic team leadership. I didn't know how much they could handle until really seeing them in action and really seeing how much they cared about the program and about making sure things went really smoothly for everyone. And so really proud of, of my leaders and really proud of, of my support staff and everybody that helped me be 130 as, as, as fast as we could be this year. Malcolm, thank you very much. Thank you, Greg. Malcolm Doldrin, head coach of lightweight rowing at Boston University. Back to you, Don. Thanks, Greg. Cross country is an outdoor sport. Track and field are usually also outdoors, but they can take place in arenas too. So how did the two fare last year? And how does this coming semester look? We'll find out when the language of business continues. I didn't even realize what it meant to be in a top tier business school until my first day. The curriculum at Questrom is really helpful because you get to not only study the basics of business, such as accounting or marketing, but you really get to dive further in and to see applications of the health sector and how business applies to sustainability efforts around the world. They really want us to kind of focus it on four emerging areas, and those areas were healthcare, security, sustainability, and technology. Those are really where the jobs are going to be. They really want us to come out from the Questrom School of Business and be able to work in any area of the industry. Interested? Go to bu.edu slash Questrom. We looked at how crew handled the pandemic. Now we'll find out about cross country and track and field. Back to Greg Stoller. Don, thank you. As the world is reopening, everybody wants to go see a sporting event, whether inside or outside, but are all of those sports created equally? We're on location with Gabe Sanders, who's the director of cross country and track and field at Boston University. Welcome to Language of Business. Happy to be here, sir. Thank you so much for having me. You coach outdoor track. Does that matter when it comes to reawakening of the world? I am no COVID expert by any means. I've listened to health experts and medical experts, and my understanding is there's a higher transmissibility rate of COVID in closed spaces. But being outside, it's much more free, so it's a lot easier going to the outdoor season than it was the indoor season, pending regulations. So right now, are you practicing indoors or outdoors? Right now, our indoor facility is closed in the summertime, but the outdoor facility is open. We don't have that many students on campus, but... With the weather being what it is, we'd rather be outside anyway. Professional sports are reopening left and right. What's happening at the collegiate level game? It was definitely segmented in different segments of the country, depending on your conference regulations, to depending on your school regulations, and even depending on your state legislator and what they chose to do. There were some states that stayed relatively, quote unquote, open as far as regulations on buildings and gatherings. There were other states that were a little bit more conservative in terms of gatherings, indoor capacity, what have. A year ago, we had probably unofficially the largest indoor meet in NCAA history. We had over 4,000 athletes over the course of two days. And this past fall, we had a limitation of 25, 25, not 2,500, 25 in this building at a time. Slowly but surely, as vaccines and transmission rates have gone down, things have started to open up. We've increased capacity, we've increased participation. And I anticipate the way things are going this fall, we're going to start seeing a little bit more of an overarching normalcy around the country, especially here at BU. You mentioned different states are working through this in a disparate manner. With BU being a city school, do you think your approach to it is different than, say, UMass out in Amherst? 
I can't speak and I don't want to speak too much on what anybody else is doing outside of here. I will say at Boston University, I'm really proud of how the university, both as the university at large and also our athletic administration handled things. And also just the benefits of being at such a prestigious and progressive university in terms of its resources. I mean, Boston University was with our researchers, scientists, professors, we were able to engineer our own COVID test in-house, have our own testing protocol, contact tracing protocols, and for the most part, had a very safe campus when it came to COVID. We had the hybrid model because students were able to come back in person and have that in-person experience, and many other schools weren't able to have that, or they had high positivity rates around the countries. Even though we're in a city school, BU being more of the secluded campus that it was, we had a good handle on things, and I'm really proud of how we handled it. As you're looking forward to the new academic year, has COVID affected your recruiting at all? Ironically, this was the best year of recruiting that BU Track and Field has had in years. That's great. Congratulations. Thank you. I'm really, really excited about the people and the level of student athlete coming in. We've got one of the fastest sprinters in the world from the UK coming in from Great Britain. We've got two of the top 10 throwers in the country coming in from New Jersey and Ohio. One ranked, I think, third. The other one ranked seventh or eighth. We've got one of the top 10 throwers in the country coming in from the state of Washington. Most recently, we had a commitment of a seven-foot high jumper, someone that's in the top 10 in the country and many others. Ironically, the restrictions that we had worked in our favor simply because we got past a lot of the fluff in recruiting. That fluff tends to be focusing on facilities on hand, the visits in other parts of the country, like, oh, we're going to go to a football game and have a wild weekend. We got to dial in on relationships and the vision of what we want this program to be and the prestige of the university itself. And that really attracted a lot of young people. It worked out really well for us. Again, I can't speak to anybody else, but we had a good time with it. Staying on that theme of BU doing so well, both internally and externally, do you think any of the protocols necessitated by COVID are going to become permanent? I'd like to think maybe not officially, but one thing I'd like to say unofficially, our sickness rate outside of COVID plummeted. It's true. Nothing during flu season. Nothing. Unequivocally, the healthiest year of a team I've ever been a part of in my entire career. The same can be said for many other athletics coaches, like low counts of the flu, of strep throat, of mono, of even the common cold. So a lot of the hygiene, general hygiene protocols that were put in place, I hope are here to stay because it those kept us healthy unto themselves. I know we're going to deregulate on gatherings and what have you with the vaccine rate going up and the positivity rate going down. That's going to change. Overarching, we had to be that much more organized with how we wanted to get things done. Again, talking to many of my colleagues, they had to be hyper, hyper, hyper organized to the nth degree, and that's only going to make us better. Wherever you see challenge, you find opportunity, and that's what we've done, and that's what we're going to continue to do. Gabe, as you and your fellow coaches from across the country follow athletes, and especially those who are going to the Olympics. How do you think COVID's going to influence them? Really, a big part of this past year is you really figured out who wanted it, who wanted to step up to the challenge and who is not going to have any excuses because a lot of the athletes, I know some of their coaches personally, they didn't have access to the facilities that they normally do. They didn't have access to a lot of the resources that they did, but they went to the open, they went to the park, they went into the mountains, they did whatever they had to do to continue to prepare and stay dialed into their mission. 
I'd like to think just that mindset should carry over to the rest of the athletic population is if you're going to do what you want to do, do what you got to do. There were a lot of roadblocks for a lot of people, really everybody, but people navigate it. Those that are going to be champions, those are going to be successful. They navigate the challenges and keep moving forward on the path. Gabe, thank you very much. Thank you so much. Gabe Sanders, director of cross country and track and field at Boston University. Don, back to you. Thanks, Greg. Support for the language of business is from Boston University Questrom School of Business. We now have downloads in 77 countries and 42 states plus DC. We appreciate the support. If you like our podcast, please mention it to someone and subscribe. The language of business is available wherever you get podcasts or ask Alexa. Our social media is by Jennifer Powell of the Excellent Writers Group. Music by Randy Barth of Osway Media. Consulting producer, Helen Tierney of Happy Accident Productions. Direction, audio editing, and voiceover by yours truly. Special thanks to Mike Carruthers of somethingyoushouldknow.net. For Greg Stoller and the entire team, I'm Don Kelly. Thanks for listening to The Language of Business.